0: And uh, if you have your Bible, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We're going to be today looking at verses 17 to 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can find the the verses printed out for you in the bulletin. Uh, We're continuing this series called Family Portraits, uh, looking at the family photo album that God has given us here in Hebrews 11. Uh, Each portrait tells us something different about faith and what it means to belong to the, the community of faith, the family of faith. Uh, we just read the story of Abraham from Genesis. Now we're going to read Hebrews' interpretation of it, Hebrews, uh, what, what Hebrews wants to highlight for us from that story. Verses 17 to 19. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, amazing, isn't it, what God asks Abraham to do? Uh, We saw last week with Sarah that the main idea in her life story from Hebrews 11 was that it doesn't so much matter how faith begins as much as it matters how it ends. Uh, Well, here today we get to see kind of how Abraham's faith ends. This happens at the very, near the end of his life, and he's very old when he has Isaac. And obviously Isaac here is is smart enough and old enough to be able to talk back to Abraham. We saw that in Genesis He's able to reason a little bit and see, hey, there's the wood, check. There's the fire, check. There's the, you know, where is the lamb? That's, not, that's missing. You know, So, so Isaac's got to be kind of old. So Abraham's really old at this point. And God comes to him and asks him to do an absolutely amazing, you may even think a horrible thing, and you would be excused for thinking that because, yeah, this is a horrible thing to be asked to do. Can you imagine the crisis that would have developed in Abraham's heart. I think there's so much, so much mystery actually in this story. So many questions that I can't answer for you this morning. But just like any good mystery, it's always easier to understand the mystery when you know how it ends. Isn't that right? Uh, do, do you like reading mystery books or, or watching mystery shows? I, I know I, that's one of my favorite things to read or watch. And I'm crazy like this. I like to watch the mystery show a second time after I've already watched it or read the book a second time. Because now that I know who done it, uh, I can go back through there and see the author's, you know, uh, artistry. I can see the little things that I thought were clues, which really were just red herrings. I see it clearly. And then I can see those things I didn't even think were clues. And wow, they just pop off the page. Well, this this is a mystery like that. There's a lot of unanswerable questions. Why would God ask Abraham to do that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But pay attention to Isaac's question. Where is the lamb, Father? Because when you read the rest of this mystery book called the Bible and you get to the end, don't you find out who done it? You find out where that lamb was, right? You find out who that lamb is. That that question of Isaac really reverberates. It echoes from this particular event all the way to the very end of Scripture. And it helps us understand what God is trying to get across here to Abraham and to us. You see, here's what it is. Faith is costly. Faith is always costly. But faith knows how to rest in God's costly love for us. Faith is costly. Don't don't think you're going to get to come to God cheap. But Faith knows how to rest in the cost that God pays out of love for us. Where is the lamb? We'll show you where the lamb is today, all right? Three things in your bulletin. Uh, First of all, we're going to see the test that God gives Abraham and and why it is that a relationship with God is always costly. It's always going to cost you something. Secondly, we're going to see the promises that Abraham reasons by. Uh, And we're going to see there, um, you know, why Abraham and why we, or how we can think about the cost that God is calling us to carry. And then lastly, the lamb. Uh, Where does faith get its ultimate encouragement to bear any cost for God? The test, the promises, and the lamb. First of all, the test. Uh, Notice there in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 17, Abraham, when God tested him by faith, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. We saw it in, in the earlier story. Uh, when God came and told Abraham to do this, here's what sticks out to me. I don't know if it sticks out to you. How it says, after, Abraham, after God had said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, your only son to me, the son of promise. It says, the next day Abraham got up early in the morning and he packed his donkey. That sticks out to me when I read it. And I think that's what Hebrews is, is writing here. And that's why it says, Abraham, when tested offered up his son Isaac, even though he actually didn't physically end up carrying out the act, there is no question Abraham's willingness to do it. In fact, his, his almost eagerness in his obedience. Why? I mean, how in the world would Abraham do? I mean, don't you think there would, would have been a dialogue between God and Abraham, you know, for a few days, maybe even a few weeks? God, can we put this off? Let's sit down and talk about this. Remember that time you came to the tent and I cooked you, a, you know, a calf? Come back and I'll cook you another calf and we'll sit down and negotiate the terms of this relationship. Now, I'm sure Sarah was jumping in too. Abraham, you've made some bad decisions and carried me along with you. You're not, I'm, on, I'm not going to let you make another one. And yet, this first couple of faith, the next day, Early in the morning, you can imagine before the sun even rose, Abraham rose. And he packed the donkey, he got his son Isaac out of bed, and he started headed to the, heading to the mountain that God had told him. See, Abraham knew something that by this point in his life that you and I sometimes don't know. Sometimes we don't, we don't quite compute or understand this thing that Abraham got this late in his life. And that was this it makes sense for God to demand our highest and best. It makes sense for God to demand of us our highest and best. Doesn't it? Now you say, well, hold on now. How are you saying it makes sense for God to call on somebody to sacrifice their child? And listen, please hear me. I'm not saying God makes this command today. I'm not not saying that. Even in moments where you're angry at your children, God isn't calling you to do this, right? (laughs) This is, not a, this is not something God did many times. In fact, most of the time, God was very clear. You don't do this. This is what the pagans do to their gods. But you don't do this to me. I do not accept human sacrifice. But there was a reason why at the headwaters of our faith, God wanted to make it clear that the test of Abraham's faith was that he was willing to do it, even though God wasn't going to let him go through with it. Because he was wanting us to see that Abraham understood how costly a relationship with God was. God is both our creator, sustainer, and savior. Did you hear that? He's our creator, he's our sustainer, and he's our savior. That means this, there is nothing that exists in your life or in this world that God didn't make. Sustainer means there is not a breath you've ever drawn that God didn't open up his hands and give to you. That's the way you are able to draw it, right? There wasn't a moment you woke up where it wasn't God waking you up. You might not have been conscious of that. In fact, you may have not been aware of that at all. You may not even believe that that's true. The Bible says it doesn't matter. It still was true. God is the creator with a capital C. God is the sustainer with a capital S. And God is the savior with a capital S. Abraham, just like you and I, this is a comforting thing. Abraham was a sinner. Abraham had violated God's word. He He knew God's commandments, and there are times, and the Bible recounts those times, where Abraham refused to do throughout his life what God told him to do. Abraham had that rebel in his heart that you and I have too. And because God is the creator and sustainer with a capital C and a capital S, Abraham also knew he he had to be for him the Savior with a capital S. If Abraham was going to go worship God, Abraham knew this, he could not go empty-handed. He could not go empty-handed. And because he was a sinner, what he had to bring in his hands had to be killed. See, Abraham knew something that you and I don't know very well by nature, that the importance of a sacrifice when it comes to you and I coming before God. Something, if you're going to know God, something has to die. Do you believe that this morning? (laughs) That's a radical thing to believe, but y'all, that is, that is the basis of the Christian faith, of the Christian gospel. For you to come into God's presence, something has to die. Either you have to die, or I have to die, or something that God accepts and provides has to die in your place. By this time in Abraham's life, he had been schooled in the school of faith. He understood this. And so when God said, Abraham, I want you to go to the mountain to worship me. Oh, and by the way you got to bring a sacrifice. Abraham was tracking. Oh, and by the way, Abraham, that sacrifice must be your son, your only son of promise. Even still, as much as it blows our mind, Abraham was tracking. He understood. Now, I'm sure in his heart he thought, oh, Lord, no. Oh, take me instead. And maybe that was part of what Abraham was thinking as he walked that day, you know, in the early morning hours to the mountain. Maybe he was thinking, at the last minute, God perhaps might let me substitute myself. In the place of Isaac. But Abraham knew this. If I'm going to come to God, something has got to die. Blood has got to be spilled because I have dishonored my maker. I've dishonored my creator and my sustainer. And he is holy, holy, holy. You can't just casually walk up to God and lay your demands on the table, right? You can't do that. We want to do that, don't we? We do it all the time. We think, oh, of course God will accept me because I have good intentions. Of course, God wants me and his family because look at me. I'm a good person. I've got stuff to offer God. Sometimes we think, of course, when I go to God and I lay out my agenda for my life, God's going to agree with me, right? Of course. Because I got it all figured out. I thought about it a lot. We think that. But the Bible again and again is correcting us. No, you can't think that way. God is God. And if God's God, you've got to let him be God. <laughs> Amen? you got to let him be God. And part of letting him be God is recognizing God is the one who gets to say to us sometimes, pay up. Pay up. The payment owed because of what I have poured out, the gifts upon gifts upon gifts that I poured into your life, the, the payment that is necessary for you to come to me without being struck dead, that payment is now required of you. Abraham understood it. And so he walked with, with Isaac to the mountain. And in some ways, this was the moment of truth. It, the, the, not just here in Hebrews 11, but all throughout the Bible. In James, for example, it says, this is the place where you knew the concrete had set in Abraham's faith. You knew that all the work God had been doing all throughout Abraham's life had, had took. <laughs> it worked. Because here, Abraham was willing to do the unthinkable thing, to offer up his one and only son. Sometimes, like for example, when you go to the airport and, and you're, you're trying to get on an airplane, there are certain things you have to bring with you, right? And you know you've got to bring them. Well, what are some of the things you've got to bring when you go to the airplane? You've got to bring your ID. What happens if you don't bring your ID? You ain't getting on that airplane, right? Uh, if you have items that the airplane doesn't let you, if you've got your pocket knife in your pocket, Dad, are they going to let you get on the airplane? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> You're going to have to empty your pockets and lay them out on the tray there, and they're actually going to take that, or they're going to make you walk all the way back to your car and take the little train all the way back to your car and put it in there. Because, hey, I'm talking to myself. Hey there. That was fun. Yeah. If you're watching online, we just had a glitch in here. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. They're going to make you take, take the stuff out of your pocket, right? Why? Because we know this. That airplane is an important thing. Being safe on that airplane is an important thing. And individuals don't get the right to decide what's safe and what's not, what's required and what's not. The airplane gets to decide, right? And a lot of times even it's really the government above it that's that's dictating this is what you must do when you board people onto the airplane. Well, Abraham, see, that's what Abraham knew. That's what you and I need to know. When we come to God, whether it's here at church or whether it's just in our own personal lives, When we approach God, there are things that we must bring. There are certain things we can't bring. we got to check them at at the gate. And it isn't me and it isn't you that gets to decide what that list is. It's God. That's the reason why a relationship with God is always going to cost you something. Jesus said it this way. Anyone who would be my disciple must renounce all that he or she has, including, Jesus says, their own life in order to follow me. Isn't that what God is doing with Abraham here? Isn't it just simply that? It says there in Hebrews, Abraham, when God tested him, why was God testing him? To show Abraham and to show us, hey, these are the terms of of admission. This is what you're going to be checked at at the gate when you try to board the covenant with God. God's going to say, is there anything in your hand that you're not willing to give up And if so, that's the very thing you're going to need to give up in order to follow me. (laughs) Because you can't bring all that stuff in here. Listen to the way one uh, pastor puts it. He says, this is the practical answer here to all of our idolatries. To the Isaacs in our lives. Which are not spiritually safe to have and hold. Did you know that? Did you know that having something in the place of God, whatever it is, even if it's a very good thing, even if it's a child is not safe spiritually to have and hold? It's not good for you to worship anything alongside of or instead of God? So this writer says, we need to offer those things up. We need to find a way to keep from clutching them too tightly, of being enslaved to them. We will never do so by simply mouthing abstractions about how great God is. We have to know. To be assured in our hearts of God's love, his, his cherishing of us, his delight in us, so that we can rest our hearts in him for our significance and security and be willing to let go of those other things that we falsely try to find significance and security in. God was not trying to harm Abraham. God was trying to save him, help him. And when God comes to you and says, hey, it's time, there's something I want you to do that's costly. That's the same thing he's doing with you. Did you know the Bible is full of commandments that are going to cost you sometimes? Right? I'm not talking about you you got a dream and you felt like God is telling you to do this or that. I'm talking about even just when you come to the Bible and and you read, thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not steal or whatever. You know, you, you just read those basic things. If you really start to think about those things and how they impact your life in various situations, you're going to find places where it pinches, it hurts, it cuts to do what God tells you to do. It would be a whole lot easier, it would be a whole lot more pleasurable to not do what God tells you to do. And yet God says, I'm the capital C Creator, capital S Sustainer, capital S Savior. You cannot come to me empty-handed, something has got to give. That's the first thing, the test. Secondly, the promises. Uh, did you notice what it says there in Hebrews 11:17 uh, 17 again and 18? It says, Abraham offered up Isaac even though uh, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice that one son that God had promised, it's through that son that my promises are going to be fulfilled? Even though, I mean, think about that. That makes it even more crazy, right? That God is saying not only sacrifice your child, he's saying, by the way, sacrifice the child that 50 years ago I promised you, and then you waited 25 years until you got good and old, until I finally gave him to you, And now it's been several years that you've been investing and raising that boy. Take him and sacrifice him. And by the way, this is the same God who said, that son is the only son that I'm going to run my promises through. Do you think Abraham sat down and thought about that? I think he did. I think he counted the cost very accurately. And Jesus tells us that's what we got to do. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to learn how, Jesus says, to count the cost you got to learn how to understand what God is telling you to do. It does no good for me and you to simply you know, wash over those things and think, oh, you know, a relationship with God is not that costly. It's not that bad. You know, I know it seems like it's going to be costly to follow Jesus in that situation, but, you know, I'm probably just overreacting. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to actually face it, to look it in the eyes and say, no, God is telling me to do something that's going to hurt. It's going to cost me relationships. It's maybe going to cost me money, it's going to cost me popularity, it's going to cost me you know, just an easy, comfortable life, because I, my life, apple cart is going to get all kinds of upset if I do what God is telling me to do. And yet, notice, just like his wife Sarah, maybe he learned it from Sarah, just like his wife Sarah, it says Abraham, verse 19, reasoned, Abraham reasoned. Remember we said last week, Sarah considered? It's a little different word, but similar family of words. Sarah considered God. Here it says, Abraham reasoned God. He looked at the cost straight in the eyes, but then he did not forget what I often forget when I count the cost. I forget to reason in God. I forget to factor in God and his promises. And here it says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead if he wanted to. And so, in a manner of speaking, it says he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham did the two things you and I got to do. When we we start to hear how costly it's going to be to follow Jesus, we got to do those two things. We got to count the cost accurately, but we also got to factor in God's abilities and willingness to work even through mysterious, difficult things. Isn't that right? In Romans 4, when it says Abraham believed, it says he. He didn't waver because he hoped against hope. He hoped against hope. Think about what that means. Abraham hoped against hope. Uh, even though he saw all the reasons why hope didn't make sense, and that's not a bad thing. Sometimes we look at our lives and we see, man, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense to me what God is telling me. It doesn't seem to make sense to me what God is doing or what he's asking me to do, but it says He instead he hoped against the hope. like he, he reasoned back on himself, just like we saw last week. He talked to himself and took himself by the collar and said, this is the way God has spoken, and therefore this is the way that you need to learn how to believe and think. The call to faith, y'all, is not a call to thinking less. Sometimes people will, will, will tell you that, you know. You just got to have faith, they'll say. Don't think. Just have faith. But in the Bible, that's, the two things aren't against each other. In fact, the Bible says, learn how to think by faith. <laughs> right? Now, there's a way of thinking that's against faith, and that's usually what people mean probably when they say, don't think, just believe. Because there's a certain kind of reason where you reason yourself out of believing. Have you ever done that? You're actually... You know, reasoning yourself out of trusting in the promises of God. But faith is fully, sweetly harmonizing. It's able to harmonize with reason when reason follows faith. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham did a good old-fashioned cost-benefit analysis, right? You know what a cost-benefit analysis is? A, a pro and con chart, basically, uh, where on the one side you got the costs of all the things that you know, you're going to have to pay, but then on the other side you're weighing it against what you might benefit if you pay those costs. That's what it says that Abraham was doing. He was doing a cost-benefit analysis. On the one side, I've got to sacrifice my only son. Wow. Now already you're thinking, what could possibly go in the benefit column that would be able to outbalance that, Right? Well, then he added to it, not only is it my son, it's the only son of promise I have. It's the only way I'm going to ever experience what God has told me is through that kid, and yet I'm going to have to sacrifice him. But look what it says on the other side. Abraham had something weightier. What was it that Abraham had? God. He had God. He had God speaking. He had God's ability to act. It says he even believed God could raise the dead. He thought in his mind, you know, I might kill Isaac, but you know what? God is able, he could raise him right back up. He's just going to see if I'm willing to do it. And once I do it, he's just going to bring Isaac back, maybe even stronger and better than he was before. And the promises are going to carry on. There was nothing in Abraham's mind that he allowed to get through which says, oh, God can't be trusted. I'm not saying Abraham never had that, because, I mean, we can read stories about Abraham when he was a little bit younger who had that all the time. You know, he was always questioning whether God was really going to take care of him. But at least by this point, and this is something, by the way, to aim at. uh, As you grow older, your body breaks down, the Bible says, but that doesn't mean your spirit has to break down. In fact, here's the thing the Christians should aim at. As my body's breaking down, my spirit's being built up. So that when I end, remember faith is more about how it ends, I want to end stronger than I began. I want to, at the end of my days, be like Abraham, who in that last moment did not reason that God was not faithful. Instead, he reasoned with himself that God is absolutely faithful, and so he was willing to offer up what God told him to do and let God deal with the consequences. He let God deal with the outcomes. The cost-benefit analysis was clear to him. God was willing. God was able. God had been with him for years and years and years. Very personally, God had been with Abraham. And Abraham reasoned, there ain't no way God's going to leave me. He hadn't left me before. He's not going to leave me now. And so here, Lord, here it is. God, he told Isaac even, Father, where is the lamb? And Abraham just said, God's going to provide. I don't know how. But God is going to provide. God is going to come through. It's a little bit like, remember the story where Jesus fed the 5,000 who didn't have any food? And in John, it tells us he did that by taking a little boy's lunch that his mom had packed him. Apparently, she was the only lady that had thought about, or the only person that had thought about packing a lunch. and so This one boy out of that whole big crowd had a lunch. Well, Well, a lot of people have pointed this out. That boy had to let go of that lunch in order for the 5,000 to be fed. But it seems like the boy had been paying attention to Jesus. It seems like he'd been listening. Because pretty willingly, I don't think the disciples strong-armed the boy. I don't think Jesus would have let him. They probably would have wanted to, but Jesus probably held him back from that. The boy willingly gave up his little, trusting that that Jesus was going to be able to do much with it. That Jesus was not going to let him down. Something was going to come on the, on the benefit side of the chart that was going to outweigh the cost. Here's our problem. We tend either to forget one side or the other. I talked a minute ago about we often forget the cost. We don't think it's really that costly. It shouldn't be costly to follow God. It should be just natural, easy. God accepts me. I accept him. Everybody's cool. We're mutual fans, that kind of thing, right? Um, You know, no ripples in the water, just God is cool with me. I'm cool with him. That was wrong. We saw that. But here's also wrong. And sometimes people in church do this one instead of the other one. We're all the time thinking about the cost, but we never factor in the benefit. And so we walk around grumpy. We walk around discouraged that God is once again asking me to to hoe this row, right? He's once again asking me to do this hard thing without thinking, oh, you're getting the bargain of a lifetime doing that one thing. Because on the other end of it, you may lose X, Y, or Z, but you're going to gain God. You're going to gain him everlastingly. You're going to gain him now, and you're going to gain him forever. Jesus said to his disciples, if you left houses or, or families for my sake, guess what? You're going to receive them here and in the life to come a hundredfold. You're going to get even more. That was Jesus doing a cost-benefit analysis, and you've got to do the same. I've got to do the same. Where are you hesitating to obey God because the cost is too great? Like right now in your life, where are you hesitating? Because you're afraid of the cost. Maybe it's because you're not doing the other end of the ledger. You're not accurately calculating the benefit that God assures to his people is going to come if we walk in the ways of obedience. That's the second thing, the promises. Third thing, and probably the most important thing, the lamb. Because even if you do the cost-benefit, it doesn't take the cost away, does it? I mean, Abraham still had to climb that mountain. And it says in, in Genesis, he laid the wood down. He bound his son Isaac and strapped him to the wood. Which, by the way, this took faith from Isaac, didn't it? We didn't talk about much about that, but I think there probably should have been a little verse in there about <laughs> what a good boy that was. You know, what, what, a, what a trusting son. Uh, that's, a, that's actually very remarkable. That Isaac didn't run and fight him too. I mean, Abraham was old after all. He could have outrun. Isaac could have outrun Abraham any day. And Isaac willingly let himself be laid down. Right? It's amazing, isn't it? To think about Abraham doing that. It still cost Abraham, and yet he was willing to choose the benefit side over the cost side. Why? The lamb. When Isaac asked Abraham, where is the lamb? I told you, that that question really reverberates throughout the Bible. And it does. From this moment on, all through the Bible, there's not a single book of the Bible after this where you don't read about the concept of a sacrificial lamb of some kind, some kind of substitutionary sacrifice. Every book of the Bible is soaked with the idea from this moment on. And so it says, when they got to the mountain, As Abraham was reaching for the knife, the angel came in and he stopped Abraham's hand. He wouldn't let him go forward and said, don't harm the boy. Don't do anything to the boy. I know now that you're willing to do what I asked you to do. And that's all I wanted at the end of the day. And soon as Abraham turned around, there was a thicket rustling just at that very moment. I mean, just imagine all the stuff that God had to do to make this happen. That mountain goat just so happened to be wandering at that particular part of the mountain at that particular time. And at that particular time, he got his horns caught in that particular thicket in such a way that he couldn't extricate himself. And at that moment, he was apparently wore out from struggling. And so, you know, he was causing a ruckus over there that Abraham caught Abraham's attention. And Abraham turned around and saw it and freed the ram. And it says in Genesis that beautiful phrase, he offered the, the ram in the place of instead of substituting the ram for his son Isaac. And so it says in Hebrews, Abraham received Isaac back in a manner of speaking from death. The one who should have died, because you remember what we said, something's got to die when you come to God. Something has got to die. And it cannot just be you know, your leftovers. It's got to be your very life. Your lifeblood has to be spilled. But here, on the mountain of the Lord, God provided a sacrifice to go in the place of Isaac's blood and of Abraham's blood. And you know what? God on the mountain of the Lord, I'm going to tell you this. It might be hard for you to believe it, but it's so true. When you trace it through the Bible, this mountain is the same mountain that Jerusalem is built on later. It was the same mountainside that Golgotha is on. If you don't know what Golgotha is, that's the name of the little rock where Jesus was crucified. Can you believe it? God provided that little ram just so happens that it was wandering by and there it was and Abraham discovered it and his son was saved by a substitutionary sacrifice and raised from the dead, if you will, because of a substitutionary sacrifice. God did that to assure God's people all throughout time that one day he was going to provide on that very mountain something for the whole world. And so the Bible says, behold, the Lamb of God with a capital L who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. And that's what Jesus said about himself. As he sat at the the last supper table and said, tonight, boys, there's not going to be a lamb. That's what we normally eat, but tonight, you know, we're going to pass on the lamb because the lamb is sitting at the table. (laughs) And here, take this bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take this blood this is my blood which is spilled out for you Eat of it drink of it As often as you do it remember me because I am the lamb of God who takes away your sins Where is the lamb When you read the Bible you know who done it Jesus Paid it all. Went to the cross. And y'all, there are some things in life, we know this, there are some things in life that are not for occasional use, they're for daily use. Right? You can think of some occasional use things. You know, maybe your bicycle, your treadmill, or whatever. <laughs> occasionally. There are some things you can't use occasionally. Food, water, your bed, right? Clothing. You've got to use those every single day. The cross of Jesus Christ is for daily use. Okay? It's for daily use. Remembering the Lamb of God who takes away your sins and bringing that into your heart is for daily use. Um, Just as we close, just to give a couple things, if you have never reached a place where you know the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, had to die for me, you don't have faith yet. You don't have faith yet. If you don't know the answer to that question, where is the Lamb in your life, you don't have faith yet according to the Bible. You've got to cross that line at some point in your life where you realize, oh, I know where the Lamb is. I know where my faith is going. My faith is not on my good works. It's not on my good intentions. It's not because me and God are mutual fans, right? It's because Jesus Christ died where I should have died and got me access into God's family and presence. But I'm also going to tell you it's for daily use. If you have believed that, but you're not every day living in that reality, if you're not setting up camp at the cross in your daily life you're not growing as a Christian there's no way you can grow without the cross daily being the banner over your life Uh, Paul says it this way the only thing I boast in he says is the cross of Christ that's what he was talking about boasting in the cross meant it's the only thing that gives me hope it's the only thing at the end of the day that I bank on I bank on the fact that on the mountain of the Lord, that mountain in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, not only did God offer a ram to Abraham, but God offered his son to the world. And in the same way as God said to Abraham, Abraham, now I know you mean business because you were willing to do this, God says to you, you know I mean business in your life because I did not spare my one and only son, and I didn't let an angel intervene and stop it. It went all the way all the way to death, and by my power I raised him back from the dead so that you might receive his life too. Isn't that amazing? Our good news verse, if you'll look back at that in the bulletin, that's what I'll leave you with today. This is what it means to live daily, camp out at the cross. you got to remember this verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, sometimes you should put your name in here, and I don't think I'm suggesting something irreverent or, or, or blasphemous here, but put your name into the Bible. If God is for Stan, who can be against Stan? Maybe you should put your name in it, your family's name. All believers can put their name there personally. If God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for Stan, gave him up for you, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you camp out there, guess what? You have a reason to choose the benefit column of the cost-benefit analysis, really the only reason that's going to work. If you don't know how much God loves you, you're not going to be very willing to pay much cost in love for God. But if you know, not just here in the head, but here in the heart, In the core of who you are, how much God spent on you, you'll stop undervaluing him. You'll stop underbidding him. You'll be willing to do whatever he asks you. It might take your whole life like it did with Abraham, but you'll get there. You'll grow into that kind of faithful person.